I've got the guy who saved the world with anal huh? behaviour. <laughs> I don't have anything as good as that. Welcome to Date Fight. i go and get some jam in a minute because we run out of jam. But before that, we do a podcast. Uh, we take things that occurred on this day in history and we pitch them against each other. Yes, we do. He's Jake Yap. I'm Nat Tapley. Lizzie Rope is with us. Welcome to Date Fight on the glorious 12th. I know you'll all be off grouse hunting today. It's the start of grouse hunting season and also my wedding anniversary. Yes, it's a day oh. in which helpless birds are driven by desperation and fear <laughs> the of men who wish them harm and... Ta-da! Hey! Hey! Did you... Will we mate? He'd love that. Did you yeah. choose the date of your wedding to coincide with grouse season? Mm, oh, yes, grousing. we didn't want anyone who would want to be hunting grouse anywhere near <laughs> our weddings. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. You want to be very careful what kind of fascinator you wear to a wedding on the 12th of August. <laughs> It'll get blown off by a 12th horse. <laughs> Carried off by a Labrador. Carried off by a Labrador. Um, I'm going to take us to the 12th of August, 1765, with the signature of the Treaty of Allahabad. Yeah, treaties, they're exciting. Oh, yeah. In 1764... There had been the Battle of Buxar when the East India Company went to war with Bengal, the Awadhas, and the Mughal Empire. 7,000 British soldiers were there under Hector Monroe and against 40,000 against the Indian Alliance. Now, you may be wondering, if it's just a company, why was it allowed to have an army? That's like Mm. Coke going to war with Penge. Is that allowed? Mm. And the answer is, yes, it was. Charles II gave East India Company the power to own territory, mint their own money, command fortresses and troops, and to make war and peace. Uh, I mean, that really was like the ultimate corporate coup of all time, wasn't it? The East India Company. Ryman's being given a tank. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Pepsi (laughs) did have Russian missiles, didn't they, for a while? We talked about that in... uh... Spud, you like being given a pen knife. (laughs) (laughs) William Dalrymple said, it was not the British government that seized India at the end of the 18th century, but a dangerously unregulated private company headquartered in one small office, five windows wide in London, and managed in India by an unstable sociopath, Clive of India. Um, so there were 7,000 British, British soldiers under Hector Monroe uh, against 40,000 the Alliance and the British won somehow, which led to the collapse of the Mughal Empire and the Treaty of Allahabad, which said um, that the East India Company would be allowed to administer taxes in three Indian provinces and a, a sec- effectively become the government, but they would pay £260,000 a year for the privilege. Um this led to the Sydney Company not just being confined to the coast of India, where they had ports and things, would actually be able to get into the middle of it, and was essentially the beginning of British rule in India. Uh, they could use pressure and force to make Indian vendors sell their cotton and things at lower prices, and refuse to let them add duties to East India Company goods, and essentially exploit them for as much cash as they possibly could. Now, we're all very pleased that Britain got rid of uh, slavery before some other people, so we mentioned that a lot, that uh, we got rid of the slave trade at the beginning of the 19th century, and we abolished slavery in the whole British Empire in 1833, except, except in the East India Company control areas, where it was still legal. We didn't make it illegal there for another ten years after that. Anyway, Alex von Tunzerman, who we've had on this podcast before, has a great opening line to her book. Let me find that... Uh, yes, she said. 
In the beginning, there were two nations. One was a vast, mighty and magnificent empire, brilliantly organised and culturally unified, which dominated a massive swathe of the earth. The other was an undeveloped, semi-feudal realm, riven by religious factionalism and barely able to feed its illiterate, diseased and stinking masses. The first nation was India. The second was England. The year was 1577. And the rest of the books are as good as that, so you should read Alex's book about India called Indian Summer. And that's the Treaty of Allahabad. Nice. And... And it was. I've got... I want to talk to you about a little boy. A little boy born in a little village in rural Essex. A little village Mm. called Upton West Ham, Mm. which in the 1860s was a provincial village. Uh, It's now, of Mm. course, part of London. And I want to take you to the 12th of August, 1865, and that little boy has grown up to be Joseph Lister. The British surgeon and scientist who performs the first ever antiseptic surgery. Mm. Now, before, oh. now, prior to that, uh, people thought that uh, bad air was what caused infections in wounds. Uh, I've got of bad air in here, lady. Yeah. That's miasma. <laughs> uh, and so they would air out hospital wards at midday, and that was their precaution against the spread of infection. Uh, that's about oh, as good what? as it got. <laughs> Uh, surgeons were not expected to wash their hands before seeing a patient or during or after or anything and of course uh, the blood spatters up their uh, clothing was considered a sort of badge of honour in fact the surgeons at the time uh, talked about the good old surgical stink and uh, practised good old surgical guts under my fingernails Um, yes so um uh, he he decided that um, that there was something in Louis Pasteur's work uh, when he Pasteur showed that food spoilage could occur under anaerobic conditions if microorganisms were present, and Lister thought, I think there's something in that. Just a minute, I'm going to start mm-hmm. applying that to surgery. So that's what he did. Uh, Thirty years earlier, Friedlieb Ferdinand Runge or Runge uh, discovered phenol, <laughs> carbolic acid. And uh, Lister started using that, spraying all of his surgical tools and things Mm. with that. And on this day in 1865, he uh, used it to treat the wound of a seven-year-old boy at Glasgow Royal Infirmary who had sustained a compound fracture. A cartwheel had run over his leg, which sounds pretty awful. Mm. After four days, he decided to renew the pad and he discovered, and this was seismic, there was no infection at all. And after six weeks, the boy's bones had fused back together without that timeless process of bone healing called suppuration. Ew. There was none of it. And so he published uh, his findings and... Uh, Did he find out that the boy was an alien? Mm. Yeah. Science. <laughs> anyway, um, the boy was an alien. He was a shapeshifter <laughs> and he scuttled off uh, to yeah. the mothership. Uh, and then he the probed. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, um, he uh, he implemented that. And, of course, classic sort of thing that uh, a lot of people were like, oh, I don't think so, mate. <laughs> uh, he was honoured in later life, but it took a long time to convince uh, his peers. And so many peers did he have? Uh, Morgan. And... Uh, you know, keep keep Britain free. You're not going to get me to wash my hands before I perform surgery. Keep Britain free. Hashtag KPF. 
So presumably Listerine just nicked his name. They went, oh, that sounds like a clinically healthy thing. Yeah, Let's I was going to say. Let's mouthwash Listerine. It Listerizes your mouth with additional... Did he not get any money for that? Probably not. Uh, no, he never got no money, no. He, he never got, got few, no money. He got a few articles published, you know, in the uh, magazine. There. Lots it. The Lancet, isn't it? Lots it. That was about as far as it Sunday spell. <laughs> Is still going? I don't know. Is it? I once had to keep myself warm with copies of the Sunday Sports. They were the cheapest paper in the all-night garage. And it did help you to keep warm. (laughs) You were locked outside the house and you wrapped yourself in a pornographic newspaper. Yeah. Desperate times. Me and a friend. Yeah. In the porch. Covered in bubbles. Um, Let's go to the birthdays. Happy birthday to Diamond Jim Brady, son of a saloon owner. He started as a bellhop. He was an assistant to the manager of the New York Central Railroad by 21 years old. At 23, he left and used that knowledge to start his own company, selling railway company parts to railways. Um, He became one of the richest people in America. He was such a good salesman. He he collected gemstones. Uh, His stone collection was worth $61 million in 2019 dollars, but what was most remarkable about him was his capacity for eating. For breakfast every day, he had a vast quantity of hominy, eggs, cornbread, muffins, flapjacks, chops, fried potatoes, uh, and a gallon of orange juice. Is hominy is that, that hominy grits? Is that like grits, yeah, hominy stuff? Grits. How many, how many hominy? How many grits? And then he would have dinner later on, which consisted of every day two to three dozen oysters, six crabs, Oof. two bowls of green turtle soup, six or seven lobsters, two <laughs> no. canvas ducks. Eat an aquarium for yeah, like two. No. Ter- a sirloin steak, veg, <laughs> and a plus veg, uh, and he'd finish off, finish off with a platter of French pastries and two pounds of chocolate candy. Was his middle name David Ike? And it, he, well, how long did he sustain this for? A week? <laughs> no, he lived until he was about. Well, he lived he until he burst. Than he was actually. <laughs> he lived, yeah. well, when he died, he lived they his stomach, and his stomach mm. was six times the size of a normal person's stomach. Oh. He did have the first car in New York. Happy death day to Lady Kwagi, the Nigerian potter, whose some of whose pottery was acquired by the Emir of Abuja and was seen by Michael Cardew, the pottery officer of the Nigerian colonial government in the 1950s, who then set up a pottery training college and invited her to exhibit there and took her around to international exib- exhibitions in 1958, 1959, 1962. She then went and taught at the Royal College in Farnham and toured the US with Mr. Cardew. She got an MB in 1962. She's on the back of the 20 Naira bill. Well done, Lade Kwagi. Lade Kwagi. Lade Kwagi out there. Right. Right, you royster doisters, you evil little boys, you nasty, nasty old ladies. What have we got? Uh, 1765. Uh, you see, I would love, I'd, I'd love to talk about the Treaty of La Habana, but I did feel like I was back in Miss Thomas's history class. And I, I, mm. I, did, I did know what was going on. It was a lot of fancy words, a lot of naughtiness. Um, which leaves me with uh, Mr. Lister in 1865, which I did understand and I could follow. Um, and and it's a very important thing, isn't it? Not killing patients. So, um, yeah, the points have got to go, oh. Jake. Yeah, pin they? Oh, wow. Do yeah. indeed. Yes, they do wow. indeed. do. Thank you very you much. Clearly, you've marked your card, Roper. <laughs> see you tomorrow. Chase <laughs> me. And the duvet. <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow. 
Bye. 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 Bye.